0: So, the unknown came in 2020, right? And it changed the workplace forever. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us do find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. So has the future of seating X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And right now, X-Chair's newest innovation, Max Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to an entirely new level. Patent pending Max allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. Are you feeling a bit warm this summer? No problem. Set your Max to cooling. The air conditioning in your home or office, is it cranked up too high? No problem. Set your L Max to heating, warm up, and soothe tired muscles. Are you feeling stressed out from too many Zoom calls? That's not a problem either. Turn on L Max Massage Therapy and relax. X Chair is patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with amazing responsive low back support and now with LMAX your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temp and getting massage therapy all while you're working. There has never been a better time to ditch that old no-name office chair and boost your productivity by treating yourself to the joys of Xchair. So go to xchairrome.com right now that's the letter x chair or call 1844 844 4 x chair and save over 100 bucks off your order x chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase with as little as 30 bucks a month go to xchair.com right now and use the code x wheels for free x wheel blade
1: casters x frankly it was so gruesome they probably should have just canceled the game at that point because from that point on it was just it was just a show i mean our guys were just looking to (laughs) looking for revenge and it was just a it was just a full-out brawl from that point on Hey everybody, what's cracking? Thank you very much for finding your way back
0: to the Jim Rohn podcast. It is great to be with you for episode 187 and just like 186, this conversation is another absolute banger because today I am joined by former Dan Danbury Trashers president and GM, A.J. Galante. Now if that's a team and a name that don't ring bells... You are in for a hell of a ride today. Trust that. Because even though the Trashers only existed for two seasons, they managed to make plenty of national headlines. First off, because AJ was only 17 years old when he took over that team. Then because of the giant federal RICO investigation that brought down his father, James Galante, and eventually led the franchise to disband, it became even more newsworthy. I'm telling you, this is an absolutely incredible story to be featured in the Untold series on Netflix, and luckily for us, AJ has even more to say about it right here. So let's get right to it. It is episode 187 with AJ Galante, and it's coming at you right now. So AJ, for those who do not know, this is an absolutely wild, wild story. The doc is amazing. I've seen it. It's incredible. So first of all, how you doing? How you living? And number two, what was it like, AJ, to be a part of this process and the making of this documentary?
1: Well thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh yeah, it's just been a <laughs> it's been a whirlwind, you know, the the past few weeks with um, you know, the, the documentary series being announced and it's just been a little crazy, but, you know, the story's crazy, so it, it fits with uh <laughs> what we used to do back in the back in the day.
0: So I'm eager to get into this. The story is absolutely amazing. Now the doc AJ opens up and you've got some guys on screen and they're all pretty tough dudes and they all make it pretty clear. They really, really like your dad, but they imply that maybe it would not be the best idea to get on the wrong side of your dad. So for those who don't know, talk to me about your dad for a minute. How would you describe Jimmy? What's he like?
1: Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's funny. My dad is, you know, my dad's my dad, you know, and that's, that's how I know him. And, uh, you know, I, we, we have a extremely close bond even to this day. Um, you know, I think most father sons for the most part, there's exceptions have a close bond, but we've had, um, an exceptionally close bond from, from the earliest of ages. You know, I remember spending most of my summers basically from five year old, five years old on, you know, spending time at his office. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing there, but he would always have me there watching, absorbing and, uh, you know, um, I, we we've been uh, attached at the hip basically, and uh, you know, my dad was, um, you know, in the waste management business, you know, back in the day, and uh, for gosh, probably thirty years or so, and you know, it's a it's a tough business, and he he's worked his way, you know, he worked his way up, and um, he he did well for himself. This he made
0: it very clear in the doc, AJ, early on. He said, listen, let me tell you something. My son, my son is the love of my life. I mean, this kid is absolutely amazing. I would do anything for him. I want to make sure he's got a better life than the one I had. So very clearly, you can see that bond. I mean, take me back. When you were growing up, AJ, when did you realize that maybe your childhood was a little bit different than <clears throat> the other kids? Maybe your experience was a little bit different than the rest. What do you first remember?
1: Well, you know, um, honestly, Jim, to be honest with you, I I think uh, it it all felt so normal to me, to be honest with you. I I don't think it's ever felt different until, you know, as you get older and and people tell you like, hey, you know, that's different or, you know, um, it it, it was always a natural thing for me. I mean, I grew up around him. Um, You know, I, I don't get me wrong. I had childhood friends. I grew up with friends at school, but most of the time I was always with him and his friends or his associates or, you know, business people. And I was always the kid. And I, I always, um, you know, I, that's why I probably feel 80 years 80 years old right now. I mean, I'm 35, but I, I've, I've always, <laughs> I've always felt a little older mentally. And, um, you know, I don't know, like I said, growing up, it, it was all normal for me. Um, you know, I didn't really see anything crazy, crazy, you know, I mean, um, but as I get older and, you know, you, you talk to people and, you know, you see things from a different perspective as a 35 year old. Now, you know, maybe there was some different things, but we had a pretty normal household and normal, normal upbringing for the most part. It's just, you know, there were some different things going on, you know, the media locally, you know, um, you know, was very fascinated with my father and, um, you know, it, it really, a lot of that fascination and digging didn't really come into play until he started doing a lot of, um, good things for the community which is weird um you know he donated a wing to the hospital for the kids um you know countless donations that he never even really wanted credit for but um it's funny when he started doing good is really when people started digging and uh you know some things might have came up you know uh, allegations right or wrong I, I don't know uh specifically but um you know, you get the gist. It was, it was, a, it was a crazy time. It was a different time though, back then.
0: No, I see you working. Listen, when I posed that question to you, AJ, I'm not looking to dig something up. I just thought there was a part of the doc that was really interesting where the teachers, I think you were in second grade and they're like, Hey, what kind of lessons do you learn from your parents? And some of the kids oh, were like,
1: yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, right. Like, yeah. "Hey, you know,
0: don't, don't get into a stranger's car. Like what, what types of things were the other kids saying? And then what did you respond? How did you respond?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you're right. And, and to preface this, Jim, I haven't seen the doc yet. So, you know, um, AJ, gonna, AJ,
0: I, 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 have, it's really fucking good.
1: <laughs> well, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about now. I remember specifically being asked and, and it's true. You know, um, I, I guess you're right. I guess that's probably when some antennas went off as uh, you know, like you said, you know, I remember the teachers were asking kids what, you know, some lessons they've learned. And, you know, this one said, Hey, don't take candy from strangers. Or this one said, Hey, don't get into a car with a stranger. And I just always from, you know, from what I can remember was always taught, you know, you, you, uh, you always keep your mouth shut. You don't, you don't, you don't talk about your business. You don't rat on your friends. You always try to be a stand-up individual. And, uh, I guess that's a little odd for a second or third reader to come up with, but that's what it was.
0: <laughs> that is wild. That's that's exactly what I was getting at. So, all right. So, you haven't yeah. seen it. I have. So, I knew the answer to the question already. Hey, we're back. Making new memories in a new world. You know, I found the best way to hold on to those memories is by turning them into art. Art that will last forever from paintyourlife.com. Now, when I heard about paintyourlife.com, I thought that is an amazing idea. An amazing idea for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, etc. But I figured, man, it's got to be expensive, right? No, not so. These paintings are amazing. The quality is incredible, but truly affordable. It's an amazing value proposition. So if you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try paintyourlife.com. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price or combine photos of people or places that you love into one single painting. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. The process is incredible. It's meaningful, it's personal, and it can be cherished forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% 20% off and free shipping. To get this amazing offer, text the word Rome to 64000. That's Rome to 64000. Text Rome to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text Rome to 64000. Listen, there there was a huge turning point, AJ, in your life when you saw a movie. What was that movie, and then why did that change everything?
1: Well, you know, I grew up here in you know Danbury, Connecticut, about an hour north of New York City. I mean, really growing up, you know, everything here is baseball, basketball, football. You know, the regular, I guess, what you would call the big the big sports. And uh, you know, I remember it was probably. Whenever the Mighty Ducks came out, I was probably seven or eight years old, and uh, I remember it was one weekend. My mother said, "Hey, let's go to the movies," and uh, you know we went. I had no idea what we were going to see. Um, I knew nothing about hockey, and we ended up watching the Mighty Ducks. And honest to God, I don't know what it was about that movie, but it, it just—I just became so intrigued with uh, with hockey. And we didn't even have an ice arena here at the time. And I remember after the movie, I said, Ma, listen, please bring me bring me to Sports Authority. And we ended up getting some rollerblades and, uh, you know, a little bootleg street hockey net, uh, a stick. I wasn't even holding it the right way. And uh, I taught myself how to, you know, rollerblade and, you know, kind of played street hockey. But Mighty Ducks was kind of my... Uh, kind of what uh, ignited the flame for for me personally with with uh with hockey
0: all right so you find that thing i mean that thing was your thing you found your passion you found the thing that you just loved and then you start to play and you play ice hockey so what were you like on the ice what kind of a player were you
1: well when i started playing on ice actually we had to go a couple towns over in uh, actually new york state they were the only ones locally had a rink at the time and uh I hit a growth spurt in in middle school and I was playing just a regular in house league in uh, Brewster, New York, actually. And, um, you know, at the time I was like, I was a phenom because I was playing in a low level low level in house league. And I was big at that age and I was just steamrolling kids. And, you know, I was just scoring goals. And once I got to high school, it changed. The the level of play definitely uh, intensified and, and got a lot more difficult. And, uh, I barely played my freshman year. I was kind of like a fourth line, uh, grind out forward and and i decided going into my sophomore year high school look i got if i'm gonna get any playing time i gotta convert to defense and uh you know just concentrate i wasn't worried about scoring goals i was just about you know keeping the puck out of the net and uh you know wanted to play a physical physical form of hockey that you know i grew up really enjoying you know watching my favorite team was the new jersey devils um scott stevens hall of fame defenseman was my hero and uh I try to emulate his game as as much as possible.
0: Hell yes, he was something else. Now, AJ, your dad, like you, was not a hockey guy, and he says in the doc that when he saw you play, he, he literally said, I was in awe of AJ. I was so proud of how tough he was. You were a really physical player. Then your senior year of high school, you had a really violent collision during a game. What happened on that play?
1: Well, you know, I I guess you would call it karma because I I spent a few years in high school really, you know, like I said, being really physical and not that I ever intended on hurting people, but there was some injuries based on some of my play. And uh, I guess it was only fitting that, um, you know, the last play ever in my, I guess, hockey career was a collision that we had. And I, I remember we were playing a game, I don't remember, I don't recall the school name, but it was a, it was a tough, tough school to play against. It had crazy fans. And uh, I remember just, I just, I just pummeled this kid with a completely legal check. It was very Scott Stevensque, actually, now that I think about it. And um, I just remember his helmet, his helmet went flying. And in high school, that's a big deal because you, you know, they're strapped on pretty tight and you got the cage and everything. And uh, you know, I collided with him obviously. And I went down as well from the force and, I remember not being able to get up, and um, I, I really tore my knee up pretty badly. And uh, I guess it was a bittersweet moment. The biggest hit of my life ended up, you know, ending my high school hockey career and, and going forward.
0: So, I mean, they you're told then that you will never play again. Again, this was like your identity, your passion. This was your thing. Obviously, it had to be devastating. What did your dad say in response? How did he respond to the whole thing? What was his message to you?
1: Well, I mean, I remember he drove me, he actually was at that game and he actually drove me home. I didn't have to go on the team bus and uh, he drove me home and we had to go to the ER. And, uh, you know, I remember him, you know, comforting me, you know, just being a a, a father and, and, you know, telling me not to not to jump, you know, because I figured, oh, I'm done, I'm screwed. And he said, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's see. And, you know, he really comforted me uh, that ride to the. the hospital it took us like 45 minutes actually to get back to danbury and it was you know i started really feeling the pain and you know he comforted me he he he, um you know it was it was nice it was nice and he just you know he, he just told me not to not to worry and not to not to be down on it things happen and um you know and then we got the bad news when we got to the hospital but he he definitely comforted me on the way there
0: he did AJ like a dad would and should but he your dad being your dad the wheels were already turning like he was already working on the (laughs) next thing he was thinking about you and what he was going to do what was his plan
1: well you know I didn't know that plan I mean I got injured I gotta tell you it was probably early December of 03 2003 and I you know, I guess now, you know, I find out, you know, kind of immediately his wheels were turning, as you said, that he had some ideas, you know, how to, you know, he, he really fell in love with the game as well. And and I guess, you know, he might've had some ideas he was looking to do with starting a minor league team possibly. But, um, you know, I think when I got hurt, maybe that was kind of like the extra push he needed. And I didn't really know about these plans until about March of 2004, and uh, I'll never forget it. And I, I, I swear people think I'm making this story up, but we were, we were having a Sunday dinner and it was quiet and I'll never forget. He, he kind of nudges me and he's like, listen, he says, I'm going to start a minor league hockey team in Danbury next fall. And, uh, you're going to run it for me. And, you know, my dad, my dad's a very serious individual. And, and when he says something, he means it, but you know, sometimes he'll test you to kind of see your reaction. And, um, you know, I, I I thought he was full of it, to be honest with you. Not that he was full of it, but I'm like, okay, dad, sure. You know, okay. And I, I, I thought he was just breaking my stone. So I, I said, yeah, dad, I'll do it. No problem. You know, that that's no problem. And he kind of just nodded and we went about eating. And uh it wasn't until about a week later where teachers were stopping me at school. They, you know, it had gotten into the local paper that what was going on. And I remember going to the library when they got those, you know, those big newspapers on sticks. You know, right. And I'm reading and I'm reading this and I see my father's picture and it's, you know, Galanti bringing, I, I don't know what the headline was, but you know, I'm reading two paragraphs in and it says, you know, 17 year old son, uh, son AJ will uh, be named president of the team. And I, Jim, to tell you the truth, I, I excuse my language. I wanted to shit my pants. Um, I was, I was so scared because I'm like, what did I just get myself into? And uh, I was worried. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew nothing. I mean, um, I was trying to transition going into college. That's a lot of stress to begin with. You know, you, you have, um, you know, friends and you, you're starting to worry about what your social life's gonna look like. And, you know, for one or two days, I, I couldn't sleep. I'm like, I gotta get out of this. And, you know, I but I told myself, you know what? I gave him my word, I would do it. Even though I thought he was joking around with me, I gave him my word. So, you know, I, I couldn't go back on that. And <laughs> here we are.
0: It's absolutely insane. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and your saving and build a budget that works for you monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, get automatic alerts to protect your identity, and Lending Tree can make sure you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. Lending Tree also gives you personalized tips and insight into how to save money and reach your financial dreams. For more than 20 years, LendingTree has helped millions of people simplify their finances with trusted education, expert advice, and comprehensive services. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances terms and conditions may apply nmls number 1136 all right so you're 17 years old aj and now you're running a professional sports franchise like so (laughs) you got to get yourself together right mentally what kind of a team and a culture did you want to build like what was your philosophy how did you what was your vision for this thing
1: well, I'll be honest with you, and again, I get a lot of credit for it, but we we definitely had a a, a great team around us. But you know, my thing was, you know, I, I to this day, I'm a, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, and uh, honestly, growing up, I always cheered for the bad guys, and that was just my thing growing up. I, you know, all my friends, we were into wrestling, WWF, all of this, and uh, I was the only kid that would always cheer for the bad guy, and that was just my thing. And I was like, you know what? I was like, this is minor league hockey. It's a very high level of minor league hockey, but it's still minor league hockey. And frankly, Danbury's not a hockey town. I was like, how do we get people interested? And we just, you know, basically decided, you know what, we're going to take that pro wrestling bad guy heel mentality, and and we just started. We we became this <laughs> self proclaimed bad boys of hockey, and and uh, we just um, we just assembled a group that honestly, I mean, I look back now, I mean we just terrorized the league. I mean, it was insane, but, uh, we, we had a rough team, but the dirty little secret about our team is we could actually play. And, um, we, we had a successful team both years, but, um, you know, we, we just were so outlandish in what we were doing that the media attention always went to all the extracurriculars. And, uh, meanwhile, we were racking up wins and, and gaining points and, you know, we were doing our
0: thing. You were all those things. I mean, you intimidated and the team was so physical, but you had to have skill and you had two really good years. Hey, AJ, here's the thing though. How, you didn't know anybody. You had no connections. (laughs) You couldn't really deal with agents. How the hell did you get players?
1: Jim, I I swear to you. And again, I I wish I could say, I wish I had a better story for you. I wish I could come out with and, and pat myself on the back, but the only experience i had swear to god was video games so when i was when i was con- <laughs> i swear to god and, and when i used to play nhl whatever year it was i would learn you know uh, you know i literally i was the kid that actually took it serious i created a team on nhl whatever year and uh, you know followed the salary cap and you know honestly i i literally and people think I'm lying, I literally would just go on the hockey database, hockeydb.com, I'll never forget it, and I would just, I became a, a very stat-driven, and it's funny because I hate analytics in sports, but I became that early on, and uh, I just, I literally was just going by numbers. I was, I was, we were projecting things like a stock market. I was like, okay, well, we would, I was Averaging numbers, it was the weirdest thing. I don't even realize. I don't even know what what I was coming up with calculation wise. But we just we started putting a wish list together, and uh, we did have a few connections to get to guys, and and we just. We just made some things happen. It was it. Was, it, it really is insane.
0: No, no, it's true. Like you were like a, a nerd, a stack geek. You were like an yes. analytics guy before there were analytics. And then AJ, you developed patterns. Now the, the thing to me that I love about this doc, literally anybody who sits down for an interview, like everybody's a character. Everybody is different. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. interesting. I could ask you about any number of people, but I want to ask you about Tommy. Who is Tommy T Bone? Pompasello.
1: <laughs> well, Tommy, you know, I've known Tommy. He's been a family friend for as long as I remember. He, he worked for my father for a, a period of time, but he actually was um, when I going back to when I was saying, when I, when I played hockey in-house in middle school, he was one of my coaches at the time. And at the time, you know, I knew him as, you know, well, oh, there's T-Bone, you know, he, I know him from the yard, the garbage dump and I, where my dad works. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing here? I didn't realize he was into hockey like that. And, um, Tommy, oh my God, he, I figured he'd be on my side cause we had a, you know, a history, obviously. I mean, he used to ride me on the ice, man. He used to, he used to check me, beat me up. I mean, um, he, he, he toughened me up and you know what? He had a lot of history. His father was the equipment manager for the Rangers at one time. And, uh, You know, he had a lot of background in minor league hockey, did a lot of stuff with different teams, equipment manager for different minor league teams. Um, I I believe he he, um, right before the Trashers, I believe he was with the um, the Army hockey team. He had he had basically a job for life up there and he left there to come with us. And uh, he had some connections and especially with some of the enforcers. And he he actually was a uh, gateway to a lot of a lot of this stuff.
0: Oh, this dude's incredible. He he is incredible in the dock. He I don't want to give it away, AJ, but he has this one amazing line. And since you haven't seen it again, I hate to give it away, but he said, "Hey, was I the kind of guy, the adult, that would run kids into the boards when I coached?" He goes, "Hell yes, cocaine's an amazing drug."
1: Oh you know? God, <laughs> that, that's uh, that's T Bone. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of guy where. If you had a pickup game with with 10-year-olds, he'd find his way on the ice and just dominate and just uh, you know, like like a, like a cartoon character. And uh he was just a he he's something else. That that definitely sounds like him.
0: All right, so AJ, he says though one of the first things he says is I got a guy. I got a guy who can turn this entire thing upside down for you.
1: Who was that guy? Oh, he's got to be talking about Brad Wingfield. Yes. I mean, that was um that was, you know, we get credit. I mean, I, I think the, I think the, um, the narration throughout the years goes that we signed Brent Gretzky first, but the reality is uh, Brad Wingfield was the first guy we signed. And, um, you know, I remember Tommy, you know, cause I said to Tommy, I said, look, we need to find the craziest guy. Oh, you know, that's gotta be um, what sets this whole thing off. I said, we have to find the craziest guy. And he off the top of he's like, I already know. And um, he was telling me about Brad Wingfield and, You know, uh, he just said, AJ, he goes, I mean, look, this was the days before YouTube and social media. And you couldn't just look a guy up and figure it out like, okay, this is a match. I just we just took his word for it. And I mean, it was a match made in heaven when we met Brad and uh, my dad fell in love with him. And uh, he was just he was he was put on this earth to be a trasher those two years. Like, so how did he
0: explain or describe Wingfield to you? Like, what was this guy's background? What was his story?
1: He just told me, AJ, this guy's about five foot 10. He's built like a fire hydrant. I've never seen him lose a fight. Uh, I remember him telling me, actually, I remember him showing me a newspaper article of when he was arrested, when he was playing up in Elmira, New York. And uh, I think the story, when he beat up some police officers or correctional, op- I don't remember exactly, but I knew immediately I'm like, okay, well that's the type of crazy I'm talking about. And, um, You know, and the thing was, again, Brad could play. He could skate. He could score. And to this day, I tell people, he had the most amazing wrist shot I ever saw in my life. And um, I said, Tommy, you know, do what you got to do, I guess. You know, we just got to meet this guy. And uh, (laughs) the rest is history.
0: So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few pops. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but nah... You live nearby. You can make it home. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even then, what's the worst thing that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead and get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober. Or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, so you're 17 years old. You are building this team. It's finally time to play. Opening night. You're in your house. National Anthem. Your dad calls down to the bench, I think. Who did he call and what did he say <laughs> right before?
1: Well, that's that's a hilarious story. Because I, I remember, you know, these were before the days of smartphones. So we had Nextels back then. And uh, I remember you know, before we, you know, before the guys went out to the ice to play and we went to, you know, our, our suites or box, whatever you want to call it. I remember my dad, he kind of showed me one of the next He goes, watch this. And um, I remember looking down at our bench and, and T-bones looking and uh, we had also. it was like a pitcher and catcher thing. And we had signs to the guys down there. We had things set up, but uh, I remember, I remember Tommy uh, whipped out a next and gave it to Brad Wingfield. And this was right right after the national anthem and Wingfield's looking up and he's like, he had this look on his face. I'll never forget. He was like, what the hell? Even for a guy like him, this was crazy, you know? And he, and I remember my dad just saying, you know what, Brad, he goes, uh, you got to immediately just set the tone. And, uh, I remember our coach kind of, you know, put him right in for the opening face off and he just, uh, the minute the puck dropped, he, he found somebody and, and, uh, you know, that was our first fight.
0: All right, so AJ, like they like you mentioned the town, Danbury, this was not a hockey town. They there'd never been pro sports. They they just needed something. They didn't know what it was. So when he drops the gloves and he goes, I mean, the second the puck is dropped, what was the vibe like in the arena? What was the reaction?
1: Well, that's the thing, is you know, everything sounds great in theory as we're building this team. We're gonna be the bad boys, we're gonna be rough, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. That all sounds great in theory until it happens and then you see what the reaction is. So the minute I saw Brad, you know, the minute I saw Wingfield uh, get onto the ice, I, I knew what was going to happen, obviously. I heard my dad talk to him on the next out, And, you know, it's kind of like it- everything kind of froze in time for a minute because now it's like it got real. And I knew once the puck dropped and what was going to happen was what's going to happen. People were either going to immediately love it or immediately hate it and it was kind of like oh my god like uh, now this just has to work you know what i mean you got the best recipe in the world if people eat it and hate it it doesn't matter so when it happened i remember as the fight was going on i think like everything went mute for me personally and uh after brad you know he won the fight in my opinion you know the fans like it's like the volume got turned up to 100 on the tv i mean people went it was like uh it was like they were on a trip or something they went insane and we, I remember my father and I looking at each other and and we just smiled and we said, here we go. And uh, it was just a wild ride from there.
0: So AJ, like you had a set of brothers and one of the brothers, I can't remember which one it was in the dock. These guys are hilarious, by the way, in the dock. One of them said, and I quote, we were going to beat you. It's a quote now. We were going to beat you and we were going to beat the fuck out of you. That was the <laughs> mentality of Jimmy and AJ. And to quote. I mean, is that pretty accurate? Is that how
1: it was? Listen, you know, I tell people I, I got asked this the other day, would the Trashers work in twenty twenty one? And the answer to that is absolutely not. There's no way in this uh time, this day and age that our type of team would, would uh would be kosher over here. And I'll tell you, back then, you know, I think you know you've been in sports forever. I mean, back in the old days, okay, and I'm I'm acting like I'm eighty, but back in the old days in You feel like you're eighty
0: though. You told me, AJ, you feel like yeah, you're eighty. You're thirty five, you know, but you feel to, like you're eighty.
1: You know, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm well, I keep saying Oakland, I'm a Raiders fan and I used to study Al Davis and I used to study the old Raiders before I was born. And Love it. you know what? These guys had you beat before you even played them. And it was the same thing with us. I mean, the second season I had guys. you know, we brought in guys that you know, we played against the first year and they used to tell me, AJ, we used to shit our pants coming to Danbury. And they used to say, AJ, there would be guys faking injuries all the time, just not to play in Danbury. And they started calling it the Danbury float. And as we just, any psychological advantage we could get over guys, that's what we were looking to do. Uh, Was it right or wrong? I don't know, but it makes for a great story, obviously. But, you know, we we wanted to push the envelope as much as we could. And, uh, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But back then, I mean, getting to your opponent's mind is, is it's, it's, it's big. And I think that added to, um, I think I really believe that added a lot to why we were winning so much. I mean, guys were just defeated before they hit the ice.
0: Oh no, dude, you, you understand this as somebody who now has converted and this is jumping ahead, but you're in boxing. That's the way it was with Mike Tyson, right? Guys were beaten before they stepped between the ropes. They knew, they knew. And I think the trashers were like that. I'm trying to pick my spots. AJ, with respect to you and your time, but but this the whole thing is so amazing. I could do this for hours. Like, how much of the intimidation, obviously, it was the guys, the team, the players. They were extremely physical. But how much of the intimidation factor was about Section 102? Like, what was that, and how gnarly did it get up there?
1: I mean, you could have a whole documentary on those guys and, gir- and girls, by the way. I mean, you're you're talking about these, these this section. I mean, um, <laughs> they were... They were totally out of their minds, and they were, I tell people, they were just as much as part of the team as, like you said, as the players, and I'm telling you, these guys and, and women, they they were relentless, I mean, you're, you're talking, again, bringing it back to the Raiders, I mean, you're talking the black hole, or the Yankees with the bleacher creatures, I mean, these, these, these guys were right on top of the visiting bench, and I mean, it was... I look back, I think back on it. I mean, i would I would have hated to to come in and play against us. I mean, the fans alone were were just brutal. I mean, they would bring props, they would bring um I mean again, stuff that wouldn't fly nowadays. We had a guy that that had a horn off of I think I think it was a fire truck and he would blow this thing. I mean, you could hear it from here to New York City. that's how loud it was. And whenever there'd be a timeout and the opposing team's trying to talk plays, and this guy had it right over, blowing it in their ears. I mean, there's no point. I mean, I used to see sometimes coaches just stop talking. There was like no point in even <laughs> trying to get the playoff. I mean, it's impossible. And I mean, we had guys that would bring body bags to the game and, and it just, you know, the, it was just, in, it was insane. It really, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it.
0: Listen, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? I mean, incredible, right? Fire Prevention Month is in October, so it's right around the corner. And it's never too early to start preparing. And we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your entire family with safety that you know you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms to help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. Having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your family and your home. You want to install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. Then, once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, alarms do not last forever. They do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace that unit completely. For a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms. 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route and remember to practice it at least twice a year. And for more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, go to First Alerts. Alert.com slash fire prevention month. Everybody should be doing this with their family. Go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. The, the body bag thing is incredible. Like one of your guys would knock a dude out and they were throwing body bags over the fallen player.
1: It was, you know, we got a little backlash from that. Not that that was our idea, but we let Section 102 do what they got to do. I mean, they were they were like family. They became like, uh, you know, part of the team. And there was sometimes some of the things they did, we'd, we'd get some back in those days letters and people were upset. But you know what? I mean, look, we they they uh, we we let them we let a lot slide. And hey, they, they did what they had to do. But it was just insane.
0: AJ, what happened in the broken leg game? What was that all about?
1: well i tell you and again coming from uh, i played you know a lot of sports growing up, not just hockey and and, you know went to i've been to tons of live sports obviously i mean it was the most gruesome uh injury i ever personally saw live i mean um i don't think i was alive for it but people tell me or maybe i was alive for it but my dad equated it to when joe theisman broke his leg when lawrence taylor sacked him and this uh brad wingfield i mean he um was trying to engage someone into a fight and the guy declined and Brad Wingfield turned around and this guy kind of cheap shot, they call it a slew foot. He kind of grabbed Wingfield by the back of his uh, Jersey and pulled him back. And at the same time, kicking his leg out. And I remember being there and, and literally it was like a pretzel rod snapping. I'll never forget the sound and Wingfield, who's one of the toughest guys I ever met the, the, the screaming, I could still hear, I mean, it makes my hairs raise up on my arms. I could hear it like, Just to scream like an animal, just screaming. He was in so much pain. And uh, frankly, it was so gruesome. They probably should have just canceled the game at that point, because from that point on, it was just it was just a shit show. I mean, our guys were just looking to (laughs) looking for revenge. And it was just a it was just a full out brawl from that point on.
0: In fact, even in the doc, they, you guys, you, you make a point of saying that on the broadcast, they went to like music and a still graphic and didn't even show it. Your dad had gone into the locker room. He had a message for the team. And to your point, AJ, just became a shit show. Your dad actually got into it with a ref. What happened then?
1: Well, you know, what had happened was, I mean... <sighs> You know look here's the thing I mean uh, emotions you know whether it's right or wrong emotions play into sports and my dad was very my, my dad's a very hands on guy you know very from what I read I mean it, very George Steinbrenner-ish, if you want to put it that way and I tell you he was upset I mean Wingfield was like a a family member to us aside from the hockey and he was visibly upset and um he was upset with the refs cuz you know he was upset that, you know, some things were going on that probably could have um, avoided that. But again, it's, it's hockey, it's sports. It happens. I think the emotions got the best of my father. And at the end of the game, he made his way to the penalty box area and some words were exchanged. And, uh, you know, I came kind of trailing behind, I didn't see it, but there was a big commotion when I, when I got down there to try to stop him. And, uh, you know, allegedly he he struck the, <laughs> struck the ref and, um it was a, it was just a shit show. And and again, uh, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But it's like, you know, we're not going to you know, if we feel one of our guys is is, is uh, injured or, you know, you're going to go after us. You know, we're going to just go all out after whoever. It really didn't matter.
0: Thing is, I mean, the team talked about it in the dock like with chills, like if the owner is willing to do that. I mean, you can say allegedly. I mean, allegedly did he punch him in the face and allegedly was he a cop? And did your dad allegedly get arrested for it?
1: or reportedly or absolutely (laughs) well listen uh, listen my dad threw a punch I don't know if it landed or not but he threw a punch and uh he did get he I do remember he did get arrested and uh you know it was um it was it was a it was a nutty nutty night and uh, it was one of those nights where you know everything's happening and you don't even realize what's happening until you go to bed at night and you kind of you, you plop out on bed and you're looking up at the ceiling and you're like, whoa, we're, we're going to be in some trouble tomorrow. You know what I mean? It was one of those, it was one of those that you, you're just the adrenaline is pumping and and you know we're we're looking for revenge and it's like you know then we go to you know the adrenaline wears off your home it's it, you're looking at the ceiling and i knew we were we were in some big trouble
0: aj i bet like the the whole two years were probably like that right it was such an amazing thing so you Very lose much. you lose your heart and soul and then the nigerian nightmare <clears throat> gets suspended because he was looking for retribution so then your daughter your dad i should say looks at you and says quote get me a fucking goal scorer and storms <laughs> out of the suite it's incredible who did you target and who did you end up with
1: well it's funny it's it's funny because um when this w- when this was happening we were in a bit of a slump and and for whatever the reason we got into a slump we weren't scoring i don't know what the story was and and i remember it was right before my spring break in college not that i really had a spring break anyway but um He said, uh, you know, he was pissed. And, And what people don't know about my father, you know, listen, this guy loves me to death. I love him to death. But my father would have no problem firing me if need be. And that's what people don't understand. And I knew he was serious. And if I didn't figure something I might get demoted. I don't know. He he would do it. I'm telling you, he would. He, if I didn't come through. Hey, AJ, can I, have- can I
0: interject? I, I my sure. family business was not like your family business and your dad was yeah. really intense. But my old man was a, a really intense Boston guy. I worked for him. He did fire me. I understand that. It doesn't mean they don't love you. Business is business, right? I yes. bet that was hammered into you from day one.
1: Oh God. And, and, you know, again, and you would know, I mean, especially, I think it's a psychological thing for the fathers too. They don't want people to think we're being coddled. So they're extra tough on us. And, uh, but no, he told me, get me a scorer. And uh, I remember this guy who was playing in Roanoke at the time, Roanoke, Virginia. And uh, I remember the first game he ever played against us. He came out and he had, you know, back in those days, you know, the hockey players had, you know, open face, you know, they didn't have face masks. They had open, you know, open helmet, open face. And I remember this guy came out and he had a full fishbowl mask. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And um, I'm talking to somebody, one of our players who was a healthy scratch. I'm like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, that's David Beauregard. He's got one eye. I said, one eye? And I guess this guy, David Beauregard, you know, he – I think he's from Montreal. He was a highly touted prospect. Um, You know, he he was one of those slated to go to the NHL. He was going to break all these records. He was big time. And I I guess – in juniors or right before he turned professional, he um, had a bad accident where he was on a breakaway and a guy was trying to stop him complete fluke. It wasn't on purpose, but stick got up, went right under his visor, took his eye out. And uh, I'm like, this guy, David, and and he went on to score four goals against us that night, David (sighs) Beauregard. And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm heckling him. I'm talking shit to him. I'm calling him one Eye Willie. I'm trying to get under his skin. And he's just looking at me, blowing me a kiss, um, (laughs) And I'm just getting madder and madder, and I, we couldn't stop this guy. I'd never seen a hockey player like this. So I remember, I'm like, you know what? That's the guy. And um, I remember, you know, believe it or not, to go back to it, I don't mean to prolong the story, no, but sure. I had no I had no contacts, and we didn't talk to other owners or GMs. I actually looked up the Roanoke where they played the arena. I called the concession stand and i said to them hey guys uh can someone put me in touch with the uh, gm and they're like what they thought it was a prank call and then eventually i did get through somehow and um i remember we we kind of uh i equated to i was kind of like Roger Clemens i i started the transaction and my dad was Mariano Rivera he closed it out <laughs> and we were able to bring him in and uh he he just he went on an absolute tear and um I mean, he was he was just, I've never seen a, a hockey player like him before in my life. It's
0: incredible. And the attitude was amazing, too. He had an amazing attitude. So what about Wingfield, like the revenge game? Like, Wingfield, that, that broken leg, the way you described that, like it sounded horrible and like that blood-curdling scream when he suffered it. And this guy was yeah. like the toughest, hardest guy there was. I mean, that should have ended his career. How and why was he able to make it back? And then what happened in the revenge game?
1: You know, that was my first experience dealing with pro athletes and, and just seeing the difference between a guy's drive when you're a professional and, and a guy that may not be, I remember, you know, the team doctors telling me like quietly, like he'll never come back from this. It's just, it's nothing's impossible, but it is just the, the amount of rehab he's going to go through. I mean, at his age, I mean, he wasn't old, but he wasn't a rookie either. Um, and I remember that whole summer going into our second season he stayed at my house with me, my mother, my father, my sister, and he rehabbed here in Danbury. His family went back to Vancouver for the summer, and we used to – and it was funny. He he couldn't move. He was in this big brace, and we would play video games against each other, and we'd be battling, and we got so close. Like, that was the closest thing I had to a brother at the time, and he he rehabbed like, like an animal. I mean, just – I would watch him do exercises at the house. They had him do, and he really – I think he knew he was on the back nine of his career but he needed to come back for that second season to get to that Kalamazoo game and uh, he rehabbed like an animal and he was able to he was able to much to the dismay of uh, Josh Elzinger who, who heard him, he was able to come back it was uh, it was amazing to watch the determination.
0: Aj, I think that maybe you won't bite on this, but I'm going to ask you because it's part of the doc too. Did your dad say to him, "We know where Elzinga lives"? What do you want to do? How do you want to handle this? <laughs> no comment. I thought so. <laughs> so, what about the game itself? Then, what do you like? What What was Wingfield like before that game? What was the emotion of the building like before that game?
1: You know, it's always I always tell people too. We were such an intense team, but. Off the ice these guys were hilarious everyone got along for the most part it was always joking and you know we bullshitting and everything but that game everyone it was like everyone knew what was going to happen and it was like it was eerily quiet you know and uh before the game and i remember you know, like two hours like an hour before the game before even warm-ups wingfield was all suited up with a helmet on skates everything just sitting at his locker and I tell you I don't get scared by much but I was intimidated and he was just kind of rocking rocking and I didn't even go over to him or fist bump him or anything I just left him alone I mean that's like I wasn't going to poke the bear and uh it was just eerily quiet and everyone it, you know everyone knew what was coming and uh I mean it was just it was eerily quiet and no music nothing and uh you know our coach at the time barely said anything before the game it was kind of like hey guys uh You know, take care of yourselves, be careful. And that was it. There was no instruction. There was no, Hey, we're going to run these lines. It was, it was everyone knew. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was another memorable night.
0: You know, so you and I are having this this conversation. This feels like we're talking about something that played out over 15 years. I mean, again, you were 17. It was only two seasons. And in the meantime, I mean, and, and by the way, you're getting national run. Then there's an NHL lockout. And then yes. and then people like ESPN is doing features. New York Times is coming in. This is like a national thing all of a sudden in Little Danbury. In the meantime, though, the feds are investigating your dad and the team, and they're undercover, and they're infiltrating the situation. And your dad ends up getting 87 months in a federal penitentiary. The team is shut down just like that after two years and folds. I mean, it was such an emotional thing to so many people. What was it like for you to go through that and have that whole thing end so abruptly and lose your father for that kind of time?
1: Yeah, it was, you know, I tell people, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was just, and I'll tell you, I mean, when that part of the doc comes on, when I watch it, that might get a little emotional. Cause it was like, um, you know, we worked so hard and, uh, you know, we weren't perfect people, but when that all happened, I mean, you know, you had a lot of emotions. My first priority was my father. Obviously we were upset, you know, what was going on, but. You know, we I understood, I grew up around him. I, I I understood things could happen and this and that. You know, that was my first priority was, you know, I was upset for my father. And you know, you start preparing, making those weekend trips to go visit him every weekend and stuff. You gotta prepare mentally for that. But also losing the team was like um a pain I'll never forget. And and I remember running into people like right after it happened, a lot of the fans, a lot of them section one oh two and they would literally cry in my arms. And, um, it was so, it was so hurtful to me because I I felt like in a way, and it wasn't our fault, but I just felt like we, I let them down and, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't win the championship that second year we lost in the finals. And, you know, it was people would literally grown men cry in my arms. Um, and I had to hold back tears to be honest with you. It was tough. It was tough when the grown man's crying and I'm, you know, at that point I'm 18 19 years old but you know it, it it was tough it was it was a it was um it was a it was a it was a tough thing to shoulder and um honestly it was like going through a bad breakup I didn't start watching hockey again until about two years ago um after after we lost a team I wanted nothing to do with hockey um you know I didn't wanna i didn't want to talk about the trashers even though it's inevitable everywhere i go it's it's somehow it's brought up but I didn't start watching hockey again until about two years ago after, you know, the way brothers came and wanted to do this doc. And I said, you know what, let me try to get back into it. It's definitely a different game now, but you know, I miss it. And, uh, I'm, I'm slowly trying to get back into it and you know, who's who and who's what. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was a terrible, terrible time, but you know what my dad always taught me tough times don't last tough people do. And, uh, I I said it, I think I said it in the interview is, you know what we, we made ourselves the bad boys. And, and growing up in the fairy tales, the bad guys don't win. So you know what? We had our run. We, we shot up like a meteor, and we, we fizzled out like one, too. But, you know, sometimes you reap what you sow.
0: Mm. I, I really respect the response, actually. So, AJ, what did you do if, like, you wanted nothing to do with hockey or another gig like that? Like, what did you do for the next decade? What was your life like?
1: Well, just like any just like anything else, before my father went away, you know, I had – so. I graduated college when my father was about to go away. And, you know, just in my typical dad fashion, he, um, he had an ex employee who, um, started a heating oil company in the area. And he said, look, you know, because again, Jim, you got to understand my whole life, I figured I'd go to college and I'm just going to work with my dad. I mean, then all of a sudden, you know, within two years of graduating college, um, the business is gone. The team is gone and my dad's going to be gone temporarily. So it was kind of like, now what the hell am I going to do now? You know what I mean? And, uh, but like anything else, not thinking about himself, thinking about everyone else. My dad hooked me up with a guy who had a heating oil company and, uh, I was able to get into that business and learn it, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes go on the truck with him or, you know, learn a lot of doing collection calls. That was the worst time of my life actually. But, um, you know, it was just a It was just a mundane, regular, regular job. But you know what? I had my dad again, you know, set me up with an opportunity when he was gone. And I'm very grateful for that, because honestly, I I didn't you know, you never think something's going to end. And and really, my whole life was like, hey, I'm going to be working with dad. So, I mean, you know, once I got out of college, which really going to college was for my mother. But I said, once I get out of this, you know, I'm working with dad. And then within two years of graduating, it's like everything's gone. So it's, it it was a, it was, um, it was a lesson I learned, you you know, it was, uh, it was scary, but my dad, he, he still found a way right before he went away to put me in a position, uh, be successful.
0: He always did. That was always the thing. So I would imagine, like, not to get too deep with you really quickly, but I would imagine like when you're 18 and you're, and I mean, dude, you are killing it. You are killing it. Like you are living the life. Everything's coming together. You're finding your stride. You're finding your thing. And then all of a sudden it's all ripped from you. And then you spend the next 10 years doing what you have to do. You pay the bills. You probably go through the motions. But then like you kind of got your mojo back. Like you found your mission. You found your purpose. You found something that you could take a shot at and pursue on your own what was that and what was that like
1: well again i mean just like with the trashers you know kind of getting into it by fluke you know just my dad having a conversation with me over spaghetti one night i mean uh i remember it was 2011 so you know five years after the trashers disbanded i was uh actually you know i was i i met someone by fluke in the danbury area who was an ex uh heavyweight pro boxer and um I met him, it was the first time we, we had a business dealing with, with um, actually a car, he has a used car dealership. And don't ask me how, but the next thing I knew it, he just asked me, what do you know about boxing? I said, I know nothing about boxing. I, I know about Mike Tyson and that was it, you know what I mean? I didn't grow up a boxing fan, I really, um, other than Mike Tyson, I didn't know anything about boxing. And he was working with a uh, pro, in the area as well and he said you know the guy needs some management and and you know next thing I know I'm like well what are you trying to tell me and uh he started he started telling me hey you should get into boxing and I'm like well I don't know anything about boxing and then uh, I, I kind of left it alone and I just was thinking about it and I'm like you know I knew nothing about hockey either or running a team and uh, next thing you know it I, I ended up making a deal with these guys and I started managing uh, pro boxers and it was a total, again, total fluke. And I took a, I wasn't married at the time, no kids. And I said, you know what? Let me take a chance like I did back at 17. And, you know, I have no lifeline. I, you know, my dad's away. I mean, he's always there for me, obviously, to do anything for me. But, you know, really, I have no security blanket. I said, you know what? Let me, you know, I didn't think I was doing it at the time. But as I get older, I realized I was challenging myself. And uh, frankly, boxing was another aggressive sport, obviously, and uh, <laughs> we were kind of boxing on the ice anyway. So I kind of took the middleman out, and I said, well, you know what? Let's let's just let's just uh, let's try this thing out.
0: That's funny. I took the middleman out. So really quickly, what you do, among other things, you stage a fight night at the rink at the ice arena right around the time yes. your dad gets out, dude. What was that night like? Walking back in that oh, building. Listen.
1: You know, that was something I did, you know, when my dad was coming out and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I promoted my first professional show at the ice arena when he comes back. And, uh, you know, it was just, um, it, unfortunately it was one of those situations where I didn't take in the moment at the time and I really should have, but it was just so much going on with, with uh, running a, a pro boxing show. But uh, it was so important to me for him to come home and, and, kind of see a piece of what I built and and really was in a way in his honor because really he's the one who put that ice arena on the map and I said you know what this is a this is a venture I'm getting into but I I always want to pay homage to him whenever I can because without him I I had nothing I mean even to this day you know if I ask him for something he's there I mean advice that's the main thing I like to get from him is advice and uh you know, uh, you know, sometimes I like to do things my way, try to find my own niche. But you know what? More times than not, he, he's usually right about things.
0: So last thought, and we never run this long, AJ. This is how good you are and how good this story is. And I, I so appreciate you. One side oh, note. Thank you. Jim. Dude, the commissioner is fucking great in this doc, dude. He is so oh, good. good. <laughs> Oh dude, he is so, he, he is so good. Right. He is so good about you when he first met you and then so good about you and what you did for that league. I don't want to give that up. Final thought. There was a reunion of section 102 at some point, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they not know that you and your dad were coming and man, how emotional was that night?
1: Oh man. Yeah. That's when, um, you know, the way brothers were here filming to, you know, about two years ago to the day actually. And, uh, you know, they said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we staged with Section 102 a uh, reunion? You know, they had a guy from Section 102 who was kind of the head of it, and he, we kind of filled him in on what was going on, and, you know, the rest of them had no idea, and they set up kind of like this trasher reunion, and, uh, you know, we. I remember that day, we went to a local sports uh, bar over here, and and when they saw us, especially my father, because a lot of them hadn't seen my father in in Jesus, you know, over a decade, uh, just seeing their faces. I mean, going back to when I told you, you know, you had grown men crying in my arms. It was the same thing, grown men crying in his arms. And you just really, as I get older, I'm 35 now. I mean, the the effect we had on some people, you know, it's, it was amazing and it's very humbling. And uh, it's really unbelievable that we had such an effect on people and I'm glad we did. And I, and hopefully we still do.
0: Listen, I the, the documentary is absolutely incredible. I'm glad that you got to a place where you were willing to talk about this and you did give your blessing for this type of thing. I mean, this thing is an absolute must watch. Like, I knew it was going to be good. I, I was riveted. I was riveted. I think it's absolutely amazing. So I'm so glad that you did that. I'm so glad that you could spend the kind of time you did today, AJ. This thing is live right now, and people should all run to it and see it on Netflix. It is amazing. The Trasher story is amazing, and congrats on the new venture, man. Really good to meet you, and I really enjoyed the time that we spent together, man. Thank you so much, dude.
1: You as well, John. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: I'm telling you, that was so much fun. I could have done that for another two hours. It is an amazing story with incredible characters, insanely devoted minor league hockey fans, alleged mob ties. I mean, who could want more than that? And it's crazy to think all of that happened over a span of only two years with a teenager running things. So thanks again to AJ Galante for making time this week and holding nothing back. You want to make sure you check out that documentary on Netflix. It's an incredible watch. And we have more conversations like that coming your way. In fact, plenty more. So you're going to want to take a second and subscribe. This way, every single week, the newest episode will find you, and you don't have to go looking for it. Such as episode 188 with U.S. Davis Cup captain Marty Fish. That's going to drop a week from today. Until then, it is time for some more of your voicemails.
2: First new message.
0: I keep waiting for the day where you pick up and you're like, hello, this is Jim. Uh, dude, I think I'll just fucking probably puke and then out of nervousness and hang up dead serious. I'm at First Cabin, Arcadia, getting ready to watch Dodgers Pirates. I know you're Dr. Jim, so, dude, it's just apropos. gotta right? call you. i just let you know that, dude, I respect your game. I respect the hustle. I respect the family. We're not always going to see eye to eye. No one does. Who does? But I do enjoy hot chocolate like Rick with whipped cream and chocolate sprinkles. And then what do I do? I do a Coke after that. Hot chocolates, Coca-Cola. Yeah, that guy.
2: Message deleted. Next message.
0: Romey, Justin and Melbourne, man. I just heard your conversation with Christy Martin. And
1: you know, I've been flipping around on Netflix and I was on the fence about watching that, but now after that conversation you had, oh, I'm all in about that. My favorite part is when she met that lady that she boxed before and uh she went out and got drunk, took her home. And
0: I took advantage of her. I mean, where was the tenderoni bomb on that one?
1: War lady clones.
2: Message saved. Next message.
1: What's up, Vince? Maggs Brady. I've been getting a lot of sushi lately, and since my kids don't eat wasabi, I got a lot of extra packets of that stuff in my fridge. So let me know if you need any, and I'll send you some. Also, I can send you some vegan hot dogs, too, if you want those. See you.
2: Message deleted. Next message.
1: Rome, I got to tell you. Today I listened to Steve Weatherford, incredible. Ever since I listened to Mark Devine and Goggins, I've been tripping, but today set me on a whole new level. It was amazing. Talk about living the day. Awesome. Peace.
2: Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim, Bella being Calgary. I have a name for your horsey, 818 for life. You're welcome. Message saved. Next message.
1: Yo, Romy, it's Matt in Alaska. I got to thinking about the jungle today and you giving us all the terrible news that every hot dog we eat takes 35 minutes off our life. Well, I prefer to think about it as uh, every hot dog I eat makes me feel 35 minutes younger.
2: Message saved. You have no more messages.